Welcome to winter. Apparently it decided to show up for us this time. There's... Hey Jackson, happy birthday. I hadn't seen done my son Jackson. I hadn't, hadn't, I, hadn't, I actually hadn't even seen him yet this morning. Hadn't had a chance to wish him happy birthday. Turns 20 today, so he's no longer a teenager. How about that? But, uh, it's good, uh, good to be here today. I'm glad that you're here. I know it's uh, you know, rough weather, r- rough weather day, and so I'm always appreciative of people go ahead and, and come and, and show up, and I think those are the days that God wants to do something. Uh, he wants to do something in our life, and I trust that, that today is no exception to that. Uh, I, I do look forward to everything we have that Jeff was talking about, the, the deacon nominations, our new 9 a.m. class, just what we have in front of us. Uh, it's, 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 that's exciting. The men's breakfast. So all the men, I want you to go ahead and, and, and set that day aside, Saturday, February 3rd, and Justin will be talking to us. That'll be great. We're going to have Justin with us that weekend. He'll actually be preaching on Sunday the 4th, so we'll come back out and support him. So that's going to be, it's going to be a great time together. I really am excited about all of it, about all that is in front of us. And as I laid out last Sunday, I, I do believe that this is an important year uh, for us as a church. I think it's, it's potentially a, a year of growth. Uh, for us. But like I told you last Sunday, if that statement's true, if we're going to grow collectively as a church, that means we have to grow individually uh, as well, because that's obviously where it starts, with each one of us taking personal responsibility in our growth and seeing and accepting our role in the bigger picture of what God is doing in this church. And if we don't do that individually, well, then nothing will happen collectively. And like I said again last week, you know, I, I do believe that we're positioned for some supernatural growth, but it's not going to happen automatically. We can't assume it into existence, and, and why would God trust us with more if we aren't faithful to properly steward what we have today and, and take the proper steps to grow in the Lord today? He won't. There's no reason for Him to do that. So, so last Sunday, I began this four-week series to lay out those steps of growth or the areas in which I believe we need to grow in this year because I'll, I'll say it again, I will continue to say it over and over. When I'm talking about growth, I am not talking about increasing our attendance. If that happens, great, but that's not our focus. We are focused on growing spiritually in certain areas and we're focused on growing our leaders, growing our laborers, growing in how we listen to the Lord and growing in our like-mindedness together as a church. So we kicked off this series last week, talked about our need for growth in leaders and and that we always want to be training leaders around here. That's the biblical model that we see throughout the Bible. We see it, we saw it with Jesus. So we desire to be leaders of leaders, not just leaders of followers. We desire to be a fruitful church. We desire to be a sending church. So like I asked you last week, who's next? Who's next? That's always the question. We need to be asking as leaders, it's always a question you need to be asking you, what's God have for you next? But whoever it is, they need to be purpose-driven and understand that this life is about the mission, something so much bigger than them. This life is so much bigger than us. God has such big plans for it. They also need to be principle-driven, lead with integrity and character and have that in place even before knowledge. It's more important to be the right person than to even know the right things. Of, of course, they're both important, but there is an order of priority that we see in Scripture. And then those leaders need to be proactively driven and be willing to step up and be a worker and get things done according to their gifting, all within the structure and the framework of the local church and, and the local church leadership. So as I told you, I, I believe we are going to need more leaders this year, but we can't compromise on those points. We won't have more if we if we we all don't grow in this area. And the same is true of laborers. So we talked about leaders last week. This week I want to talk about laborers. At the end of the service, I'm going to talk about some new ministry opportunities that are actually going to be available this year. So again, I believe we are going to need more laborers. Uh, We're going to need more people involved in ministry, but it can't just be anyone. We need the right laborers, so we need growth in our laborers. And those laboring need to understand what it's all about and why we're laboring and and the process and how to go about it the right way. And and laborer is the right word because, I mean, first of all, it's a biblical word. 
And it gives the proper understanding of what we're doing in this life as we serve the Lord. Just as Jeff mentioned, it's, it's work. Even on the missions trip in the Dominican Republic in January, it's still work. And, and that's what our service to the Lord is. It's work, it's labor, it's not easy. It's why there's a need. Because it's just, you know, it's not for everyone. It's not convenient. And I, and I put this on your outline sheet. It's not convenient and it's not comfortable. And so I want to challenge you a little bit in that arena this morning. I want to challenge you to get a little bit uncomfortable this morning. And that's exactly what we're going to see in, in, in our passage of study. And, and we're going to see the areas of growth and, and understanding that we need in, in our lives as laborers. And, and the passage that we're going to look at today, you've probably already seen it there on your bulletin. It's a very popular one. It's one many of you are familiar with at the end of Matthew chapter 9, if you so if you haven't turned there already, I invite you to go ahead and be turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Uh, we'll get there in just a second. But like I said, this is a passage of Scripture that, that we hear a lot. We hear a lot in the context of trying to get more people involved in the work of the Lord. We hear it a lot in the, in the context of missions. And it's certainly appropriate for all of that. We'll, we'll be looking at it in that, that same way this morning. But I also want to show you that it contains a much deeper message than just that, than, than just involvement. I think, I think this is a passage that's, that's more quoted than explained and, and maybe more used than even understood. So I hope this morning that we can gain some insight into what the Lord's really saying here because I think in a very wonderful way in this small section of Scripture we get a comprehensive insight into the keys to laboring in the Lord's ministry. I think he sums it up for us very succinctly, and I think it's very important for us to understand. And, and when, when looking at this passage, people will normally just focus on verses 36 through 38. That's, that's the paragraph break. Every, everything makes sense about that. Verse 38 is the end of the chapter. But I actually want to start at verse 35, and, and I want to end in, in chapter 10 and verse 1. So I want to add a, a verse on each side of it, and... and those verses are important bookends to this text that, and the overall framework that, again, I think, you know, are usually overlooked in, in this context. But that, I think that's a mistake. I think they actually give us the proper context and the complete picture. So let's begin reading Matthew chapter 9. Again, we're going to start in verse 35. And the Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And then chapter 10 and verse 1, the very next verse. When he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. All right, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to, to join us this morning and to teach us uh, what, what he has for us. Dear Lord, we, we thank you for the time that we have together. And thank you for those that, that brave the cold and the, you know, the snowy streets to come out and just to hear from you. So, Lord, I pray that that's what happens that you move me aside and that we very clearly hear from you, hear from your word and that your spirit does the work to take your word and to, to, to mold it into our lives, to change us, uh, to be more and more like you. And in this area uh, of, of laboring for you, Lord, I pray that you teach us the areas in which we need to grow and, um, Lord, that we would be faithful to do that. I pray that everything that is said is true to your word and that you're honored and glorified by our time in your word today and just our worship of you um, as we gather and assemble together uh, today. We love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this passage that, that I just read, again, very popular one, but it really is a very important passage in the, in the context and the overall framework of the book of Matthew because it marks a transition point in this gospel. So Matthew, many of you know this, some of you probably don't, but some of you have heard this. Matthew is about presenting Jesus as the king of the Jews to the Jews. That was Matthew's goal. He wanted to present Jesus as the king of the Jews. And up to this 
point in the book, he had presented all the salient elements of the kingship of Jesus. So he began right from chapter 1 with the ancestry of the king and the genealogy of the king. In chapter 1, then we have the arrival of the king, including the virgin birth and the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies proving him to be the king. Then came the announcer of the king with John the Baptist, and then the approval of the king with his baptism, as the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then we have the attack on the king as Satan met him in temptation at the beginning of Matthew chapter 4, and then he comes out of that and he declares the constitution of the kingdom in chapters 5, 6, and 7 with the Sermon on the Mount. And then we see the, the proof that he was king, and that came through the miracles of chapters 8 and 9 that attest to his deity. And then when we get into chapter 10, we meet the associates of the king as he calls into service the twelve and sends them out with the message of the kingdom. But between the proof of his miracles and the sending out of his disciples, there's this very small transition that takes us out of his miracle ministry and into his personal ministry and away from the multitudes and toward the individuals and the discipling of his apostles. And that transition is very important because in it, in this transition, it's where Jesus sees the vastness of the task at hand. Not that he didn't know, he was God, but we see very clearly what he sees. And he sees the vastness of the task at hand and realizes that he needs some help. Even Jesus couldn't do this job alone. He did the job of the cross alone because he's the only one who could. But in the getting the message of the gospel to the world, he can't do that alone. And if that's true of Jesus, then it's obviously true of First Baptist Church. I can't do the work by myself. The other pastors we have here, as great as they are, the job is way bigger than them. It's way bigger than all of us. We need all of you to join in the work. We need everybody to be a laborer. Paul understood this principle. It's why he was so interested in the Corinthians getting things right, right? The book of 1 Corinthians is, is vastly a rebuke because that church that he had started had gotten off track in a number of different areas. And he goes through and he addresses them one by one. But in the beginning of that, he gives one of the reasons why. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, he says, listen, guys, for we, we are laborers together with God. Ye, you, you need to understand this. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. So Paul's message was, quit messing things up. Build your work upon the right foundation. That's where he goes in verses 10 and 11. There in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So just like growing leaders with respect to how we need to grow leaders, that is a, a biblical concept modeled by Jesus, modeled by Paul, so is growing laborers. Modeled by Jesus, modeled by Paul, we see it throughout Scripture. But to do it right, we need to understand the, the keys, the biblical keys that, that God gives us to laboring. And we get those here in this short text. And, and, and I, I think it's so succinct, it's so simple, very simple, very simple message this morning, but very clear and so important to get down if we're going to grow in this area. So what we see first and what we all need to understand in order to grow as laborers, is, is very simply, our, our first point is the purpose of laboring. We need to understand very clearly the purpose of laboring, what it is and why we are laboring. And, and, and you could even say the principles of laboring, what it is that we're going to do. You see, there is a purpose with respect to what our laboring in the Lord should be about. This is nothing new. This is very simple. But the purpose is twofold. You see two aspects of, of our purpose in verse 35. Again, this is where Jesus was doing the laboring, you know, by and large, by himself. Look at that verse again. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every de disease among the people. Now, what we're not going to do today is we're not, we're not going to get into the do doctrinal implications 
of this passage or, or discussed how the, the gospel of the kingdom is different than the gospel of grace that we preach today. We've talked about that actually as we've moved through the book of Acts that we'll be back in just a few weeks. Those are certainly very important topics. They're just not pertinent to our message this morning. All I want you to see is that there are two primary elements of laboring that we see Jesus doing because those give us our purpose. And so first of all, we see Jesus sharing. We see Jesus sharing. He was sharing the word of God with others by teaching in their synagogues and by preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So, so we see the, the model that we're to do with our life. It's, it includes teaching and preaching, or we might say he was evangelizing and discipling. He was sharing the word of God and investing it into others. And when it comes to laboring for the Lord, this is certainly the key element. This is the primary purpose of our labor for the Lord. It is the mission of our life. To take the word of God and invest it into others. And with respect to teaching in the synagogues, he was explaining and he was expounding what the word of God said. That would have been what his goal was. And what he was doing when he went into the synagogues. And that's the model of ministry that we do here. Because it's what you see throughout the Bible. From personal discipleship to MTT to LFBI to the preaching every Sunday, we are expounding and explaining what it is that God's Word says. Rightly divided, dispensationally, all of that. And we do that because, again, that is the model you see throughout Scripture. And listen, it is the only thing that matters. It doesn't matter what my opinion is. It doesn't matter what I think about certain things. What matters is what God's Word says. And so that is what we want to share and we want to explain it, and we want to expound it, and there's some things that are difficult to understand, and again, it has to be rightly divided, and so, so we do all that because we need to know what God is saying, who he's saying it to, and how it applies to us. And again, that's what you see all throughout the Bible. In Nehemiah chapter 8, we went through this a couple years ago, when Israel returned to the land after Babylonian captivity, right? And they rebuild the walls, and, and they're, they're establishing their community and their culture again, including worship in the temple. They prioritized the expounding and the explaining of God's word. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8. So they read in the book, of, in, the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. This is the primary focus of Paul's ministry to the people God put in his life, especially the laborers and the leaders he was training up. This is one of his admonitions to, to his son in the Lord, Timothy. 1 Timothy 4, verses 12 and 13, Paul said, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And, you know, and that's just a great verse, whether you're young and in physical age or spiritual age or both, there's great advice for you there. That's the advice that we all need to be an example in our words, in our lifestyle, and how we love. And how do you do that? How are you able to do that? You give attendance or you show consistency. You pay attention. You're given to reading and exhortation and doctrine. That means you read the Word of God and you study the Word of God and you apply the Word of God and you share the Word of God. That's what our life is to be about, and, and that is the mission that God has given us. That is how you make your life meaningful. So please listen, and I put this on your outline sheet, and I've said things like this before, but I, I just want to be as clear as can be. The church's most important goal is not to have great worship services. It's not to, you know, make people... Um, feel comfortable. It's not to, to bring in as many people as you can. No. The church's most important goal is to clearly proclaim the Word of God. Rightly divided, correctly stated. That's the church's most important goal. And then we let God do with that what He will in the hearts of individuals. That's the work we've been given. It's the work we need to continue to grow in this year. But it's not all. It's not 
all the work consists of. Because secondly, with Jesus, we also see him serving. We see him sharing the word of God. He's teaching, he's preaching, but we also see him serving. Look at the last part of, of verse 35. So he's teaching in their synagogues, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. You see, and this is an important note, Jesus also served the people by healing every sickness, every disease among them, and, and meeting some of those physical needs. And, and as I mentioned earlier, there was even a purpose behind that, is to verify his message, to prove that he was the Messiah. But don't miss the fact that in performing these miracles, Jesus also demonstrated the loving tenderness of the heart of God and his care for people. And we're going to continue to talk about this in our next point. But, but in doing so, it differentiated him from the Pharisees and the other religious leaders of that day. And, and just as this was a part of Jesus' ministry then, it, it, I believe it's also essential to our ministry today as well. Because as, le- as laborers, we, as you know, the mission God's given, we have to teach the word of God. We have to share the word of God. We must proclaim the good news of the gospel. But we must also know that Jesus touched people where they hurt and was sympathetic and kind and caring and loving. And that's part of our work as well. And it's so important as laborers for the Lord, that we understand that. Otherwise, we aren't representing Christ fully. That's why in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 and 2, Paul said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm become as a sounding brass or as a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. And we all need to grow in this area this year and, and, and not just minister and labor in coldness and matter-of-factness because that's not how Jesus ministered and labored. It's not how Paul ministered and labored. And of course there's times for very direct conversations and to let people know that, man, that, that, that what the Bible says is true. But even that needs to be done in love. And so everything starts with purpose. If you don't understand the purpose of our labor for the Lord, it's to invest the word of God into the souls of men through love and care, then you're never going to labor correctly. So this is an issue we all need to be cognizant of because if we're just laboring our way and we're doing it the way, you know, we want to do it and we're not doing it the way the Bible prescribes, then it's all vanity. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't amount to anything of eternal value. So why do we want to waste our time? Psalm 127 verse 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. So we start with understanding the purpose. Very, very simple, very simple stuff, all stuff we know. But then there are some things that, that we need to have inside of us in order to be able to labor effectively and biblically. And that brings us to the second biblical key in laboring, the second area that we all need to understand in order to grow as laborers, and that is the prerequisites. We're going to look at the prerequisites of laboring because there are a couple things, there are two specific attributes that we see in this text, that we see in Christ, that we need to develop in ourselves this year. And this is kind of going to build off what we just talked about. So this is an area we need to grow as laborers in 2024 And the first is compassion. The first is compassion. What's what's a prerequisite for being an effective laborer for God? The first prerequisite is having compassion. And again, this is kind of where we left off the last point. You you see, Jesus was willing to touch the people that needed him and, and heal them physically because he had love for them. But compassion, the word, a biblical study of the word compassion goes even deeper than that. Because even here in Matthew chapter 9, it was after he healed the people in verse 35 that we read in verse 36. But when when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So Jesus loved them enough 
to heal them, but his compassion is on a completely different level because compassion, Jesus' compassion and our compassion goes beyond their physical needs and sees their real need, which is their spiritual need. And compassion from the Lord, compassion from God in the Bible, it is seen for sure in, in physical healing and, and, you know, and, and doing physical things. But it always, when you study the word compassion, it always has a spiritual element to it. It's always deeper than just the physical, even when physical things are occurring. In Psalm 78, verse 38, for example, speaking of Israel, we read, But he, speaking of God, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. Even when they deserved it, he had compassion, and his compassion led to forgiveness of iniquity. It led to spiritual healing and not just physical healing. And that's what's going on in Matthew chapter 9 with Jesus as well. Jesus, his compassion was based out of a spiritual concern for the people. So he cares about their physical needs, of course. It's just that's not the most important. We understand that. And compassion, when you study the word, you see that it is a feeling of care that is, that is deep within you. It's a, it's a concern so deep that you can almost feel physical pain. That whatever is going on makes you feel sick to your stomach, so to speak. And again, I don't have time to show you the full study, but, but that's what compassion is connected to. You can see it even from the very beginning in, in Genesis, um, you know, when, when Joseph was, was dealing with his, uh, his brothers, you know, when he's under Pharaoh and, and they come back and, 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 and when... You know, they bring Benjamin back to him. There's that series. I don't have time to talk through it. But there's a series of, of elements when his brothers come to him because they're, they're starving. The famine's going on. And when, he, when they bring Benjamin to him, it, like, it physically affects him because of the compassion he felt. And, you know, for, you know John, 1 John 3, 17, you, you see part of this. It says, But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in, it, in him. You know, you feel it in your bowels. So just, so just think about this for a second. Does God care? Does God, I'm, I'm asking, it's not a trick question. Does, does God care? About, yeah, yeah, he does. He cares supremely. He, he cares and he loves beyond, you know, anything that our flawed humanness, you know, can, can probably even understand. So, so God cares at that level. Well, put God in a human body and let him love like that and let him care like that and let him see the devastation of sin. And I can only imagine how it wrecked him. What his compassion did to him, even physically, when Lazarus had died, who he knew he was going to raise from the dead, right? He knows this. He comes to the house. He sees Mary weeping. Listen to what it did to him. John eleven thirty three. 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And then in verse 35, you see that he wept. And then look at verse 38, a third physical response. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, coming to the grave. And that is what true biblical compassion will do. It will affect you in a way that sometimes you can't even explain. So Jesus was compassionate. That's not in question. But what is in question is us. Are you compassionate like this? Am I compassionate like this? In the 19th chapter of John, we, we see Jesus on the cross. And if there was ever a moment when he could have thought of himself, it would have been then. But he looks down at the foot of the cross and he sees his mother. And he sees Mary. And instead of thinking about himself, he thinks about her. Because he knows he's not going to be around anymore. And he points to John and he, in midst of unimaginable agony, he talks to his mother and he points to John. He says, behold thy son. 
And he turns to John and he says, behold thy mother. What compassion with the weight of the sin on him. Dying the most brutal and violent death imaginable. He was thinking of others. And not just for his family and friends, but also those that hated him and eventually killed him. He looked at the people of Israel so many times with pain in his heart to the point that in Matthew 23, 37, he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? And you would not. Man, I just want to gather you together. Won't you just come to me? Won't you just listen to me? Won't you just believe me? And you wouldn't do it. You could almost hear the angst and the compassion in his voice. And that is part of what made him the best minister this world has ever seen. And I get it that we can never be quite like Jesus. But, but please listen to me very clearly. We also just cannot be void of the qualities of Jesus and think that's okay. We can't. And compassion for those in dire spiritual need is one of them. It's what drives our labor. It's what will drive us to actually be about the mission. It's what will drive us to live life understanding there's something more important than you. There's something more important than me and what I can get and how I can build a comfortable life. No, there's something way more important than that. But if you don't have compassion, you won't see it. So if you don't, then you need to ask the Lord to give it to you this year. That's where you need to grow as a laborer. Because ministry cannot be about you. Listen, we are selfish even in our service to the Lord. Because we'll, I want to be involved in ministry and I'm going to get involved. But unless it's done my way, and unless I get to figure out, and unless I get to call all the shots, unless I get to do exactly what it is that I want, then I don't know, I don't know if it's worth doing. Man, try to be nice. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about bringing others to him the only place that they can get the help that they really need. And that brings us to the second prerequisite that we see in Jesus, and that was the source of his compassion. These two are tied together intimately, which was that he fully understood the people's condition. He had compassion because he understood their condition. You see, the source of Jesus' compassion was that. Look at verse 36 again. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And again, the condition he was concerned about was the spiritual over the physical. He did physical things. He served them in physical ways. But that wasn't their real need. And that wasn't his biggest concern. He says he had compassion on them because they fainted. Well, not, it's not physically. He's not talking about physically. The whole you know, country of Israel is you know, passed out. They're not physically fainted. No, it's spiritually. They were spiritually tired. They were worn down. And it was because they were leaderless with sheep having no shepherd. But just think about that for a second. Because I say they were leaderless, but they actually had spiritual leaders, right? They had some. They just weren't good ones. Because it was the scribes and the Pharisees. And their leadership had worn out the people and, and made them give up and give in. And it caused them to faint spiritually. And so just stay on that spiritual picture for a second. Because physically, you know, what's one of the primary sources of being faint or being tired? Well, many times it has something to do with poor nutrition or dehydration. So the Jews were spiritually fainting because their leaders weren't feeding them. They weren't taking them to the water of the Word of God. They didn't show them any pasture or take them to the well. Their spiritual leaders didn't bind their wounds. They didn't care for them. They were leaders without compassion. 
And it led the people to weariness, to bewilderment, and the wounds had left the people desolate. And it happened because their shepherds never helped them, but rather harmed them. To the point that in Matthew 10, 6, as Jesus was sending out his disciples, he said, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The people were lost because their leaders were offering a religion that did not lift burdens, but actually put burdens on them. And their leaders were indifferent to their real needs. In Matthew 23, verse 4, Jesus said this about those leaders. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. And from a spiritual perspective, that is exactly what they were doing. Jesus told them in verse 13 of Matthew 23, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. And there's, again, there's a lot of doctrine in these verses that, that we just don't have time. It doesn't really pertain to our message this morning. But the fact is, the leaders of Israel were leading the people of Israel astray. And Jesus did not take that lightly. This is actually where his compassion ended. It did not extend to those who should have known better and still did wrong and led others away in the process. Woe to them. And that's a great warning for all of us, of course, especially us leaders, that we better know what we're doing and why we're doing it. Because those that get this wrong and lead people astray are never spoken well of in Scripture. It never ends well for them. You know, Paul had this experience. He talked about a couple guys, Hymenaeus, Alexander, and listen to what he says about them in 1 Timothy 1, verses 19 through 20. Holding faith and a good conscience, which, having some, which some having put away concerning, have made sh- concerning faith have made shipwreck. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may not learn to blaspheme. He said, when it comes to faith, these guys have made shipwreck. And man, it's just a, like what an incredible word that is. And in the context, shipwreck is a man who is a leader who uses his power to take liberties with his conscience, all because of his arrogance. And so pay attention to that word, shipwreck. That means everyone who stays on board that person's boat is in danger. And what a shame. And we're losing people around us all the time to shipwreck. And arrogant ministers and laborers who corrupt the word of God and drag people right down with them. And people say, oh, you shouldn't speak against this situation or you shouldn't speak against that person and give warning and you shouldn't speak against those other religions. Listen, if they are shutting people out of the kingdom of God and causing shipwreck amongst believers, maybe, just maybe, we have a responsibility to speak against it. That's what Jesus did, because he knew the condition they were causing, and it burdened him. And just follow that Matthew narrative in your mind for a second. Based on everything we just talked about, man, every, we're still in chapter 10. Uh, uh, the, the, the rejections, there's, there's multiple rejections of Christ. And again, we don't have time to talk about that. It, we should have been able, the Jews should have seen what was there. And, and based on all that, as we get into the end of chapter 10 and into chapter 11, it should have been so wonderful when, when just a couple chapters later, before the rejections, the people heard Jesus say, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest under your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we use that verse a lot, and we apply it to us a lot, and, and certainly inspirationally, that's, that's great. We can and, and we should. But he was talking to the people of Israel, who, who not, not just two chapters later, he, he, the compassion he had because they were fainting, because they were tired. He says, you need rest. I have it. Why don't you just come to me? And they couldn't do it. 
And their leaders were to blame. No, everybody has individual responsibility. But again, from a, a nation of Israel standpoint, there's a national aspect to their salvation that doesn't apply to us today. And the Pharisees' yoke was hard and painful, and Jesus said, mine is easy. And they needed a shepherd, and he longed to shepherd them, to gather them, because he knew their true condition. So the question is just this. Are we concerned like that about the condition of those around us? Do you understand what's happening? Do you understand the condition of those around you? Because that's a prerequisite to being an effective laborer that glorifies the Lord. Having compassion because you know their condition. And allows you to understand the third biblical key to really grow as a laborer. And that's the process of laboring. There's a process, right? So you have to understand the purpose. you got to know what it is that you're doing. There's some prerequisites. If you're going to get into this, you need to have some level of compassion. You need to pray for that compassion because you understand the condition. But then, okay, there's a process to go about it. And it starts with you need to recognize the imbalance. You recognize the imbalance. This is where it starts. And that's the imbalance between those serving and those needing, needing to be served. Look at verse 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. You see, listen, and I put this on your outline sheet. At some point, you need to see the need. At some point, you need to see the need. Do you? And if so, if you look out and you see the need, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about a hell-bound world? A world of hurting people who need compassion. What are you going to do about the condition of men and women who are trapped under the lies of this world and the lies of devilish men that damn their souls. What are you going to do? As David said before he faced Goliath, is there not a cause? Of course there is. But it is something that you have to recognize. You have to see it for yourself to really understand the need to the point that it prompts you to action. That is what verse 36 says. When Jesus, what? Saw the multitudes. He saw them for himself. Lamentations 3 and verse 51 says, Mine eye affecteth mine heart because of all the daughters of my city. So are you looking at what's going on? Are you seeing the multitude when you walk through this world every day? And is your heart affected by it? Listen, I am as guilty as I, I'm, I'm saying you a lot because I'm, I, I feel too bad to speak to myself. As I just grow cold. I just grow cold to the truth of, of what's actually going on in this world and the condition of people. And it's, it's wrong. It's a shame. Our heart needs to be affected by what we see. Because if it isn't, then we're not looking with the eyes of Jesus. And we need to grow in this area. Can you see the work that needs to be done? As Ezra is organizing the rebuild, Ezra, you know, before Nehemiah, he comes back, they rebuild the temple, they're reestablishing temple worship, that sort of thing. And after the, again, after the Jews return, return from captivity, he said this in Ezra 8 and 15. This is very important phrase he uses. He says, and I gathered them together to the river that run to Avaha, and there abode we in tents three days, and I viewed the people and the priest, and found there none of the sons of Levi. Okay, now they, they were establishing, they were reestablishing the temple and temple worship. And if the temple work was to occur, they needed Levites. That was the priestly line. And they didn't have them. The laborers were few. He saw the need because he viewed the people. Twice in the book of Nehemiah, it says that he viewed the walls, or, or he viewed the wall. Those are both in chapter 2, as he was formulating a plan. He was, a paying, he was paying attention to the work that was ahead, because he needed to know what workers were needed. 
So have you viewed the field? Have you seen the need? Do you recognize the imbalance? God wants his people to see. So he explains it to his disciples. The harvest is so plenteous. I mean, it includes everybody. But the laborers are so few. Do you understand the problem? Because if you do, then you need to move to the second step of the laboring process, and that is respond with intercession. Now, we're going to get to specific personal involvement in our next step, but the second step of the process isn't that. It's intercession. Because look at what Jesus commanded the disciples in verse 18. He said, There's the, the mission's big, and the laborers are few. So what do you do? You pray. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. The first action step we are to take is to pray. It doesn't say, do it yourself and do it as quick as you can. The text doesn't say, come up with a great program. It says, pray. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, because we need his involvement, or it doesn't matter what we're doing. And isn't it interesting? Because we think, and we even say, Sometimes, you know what? There are some things you just don't need to pray about. And I get the sentiment, it just doesn't appear to be biblical. We're commanded to go, we're commanded to be part of the mission. There's not a question there, but we're to pray first anyway. And why is that? Well, I believe it goes back to the doctrinal truth of prayer that we even teach in our discipleship lesson that prayer isn't for the Lord, it's for us. So walk through this with me. Because do you notice what you're to be praying for? The verse does not say, pray for the lost. As weird as that might sound, it doesn't say that. Now, there are some other verses, like it's 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4, that, that kind of do. But, but this doesn't. As we're going through the text for the process of laboring, it does not say that. It says, pray that God will send laborers. So Listen. You can sit around and say, oh, Lord, will you, will you please save my best friend, Jimmy? Or will you save my husband? Will you save my neighbor? And it's a noble prayer, right? It's a good prayer. But, but think about this prayer. Lord, will you please send someone to reach my best friend, Jimmy? Lord, will you please send someone to reach my husband? Will you please send someone to reach my neighbor? And if you just keep praying that, Pretty soon you might say to yourself, I mean, maybe I ought to be that someone. Maybe he's, maybe he's going to send me. And you can get to the point to where you say, you know what, Lord? Here I am. Send me. Will you send me to, 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 me, to, to reach Jimmy? Will you send me so that I can share the gospel with my husband? Will you send me that I have the opportunity to talk to my neighbor? You see, prayer isn't for God. It's for us. And that brings us into the place of God's will. So if all you're doing is praying for the person to be saved, you can kind of keep them at arm's length. You can feel good about praying without taking responsibility. But as soon as you start praying for the Lord to send the person, pretty soon you're going to feel like maybe you are that person. And that brings us to the third step in the process, which is resolve to get involved. You see, at this point, it's just a decision to obey or not. You've seen the need. You've prayed for God to send help. And the only thing left is to simply realize that the help is you. So take action accordingly. That's what we see in Matthew 10.1, the very next verse. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. You see, this is the bookend. We're right back to verse 35. But now, it's not just Jesus doing the work. He's expanded the labor field. But listen, the ones who were doing the interceding were the ones who got involved, right? That's how it works. Because prayer leads to action. It also leads to power because as Jesus sends out his disciples for the work, he sends them out equipped. He gave them power against unclean spirits and power to heal. And if you'll just trust him, the next thing you know, you'll be doing things you never thought you'd do. You'll be going places you never thought you'd go. And you'll just be a perfect laborer for him. Because your life's about his. And that's the type of laborers we need at FBC.
who wants to understand our purpose, that we're to give out God's word and make disciples, that we're to be active in evangelism and discipleship, but not in a cold-hearted way, through the same type of love and care that Jesus provides for us. So we share and we serve, and, and, and whatever he opens up to us, we walk through those doors and we nail down those prerequisites. We make sure we have the right things in our life for the right reasons, and we have compassion, biblical compassion, because we understand this world's spiritual condition. And, and their condition is helpless without a Savior. But he wants to help them. And he wants to save them. And he just uses us in that process. But our pro- that process doesn't start with involvement, right? It starts with our eyes and what we see. It moves to our knees. And we get down and we pray. And then it goes to our feet. And we get up and we walk out into the world and do what he's called us to do. That's the laborers. That's a biblical laborer. And now I know we're out of time, but, but very quickly, I just I want to get very practical for you because I told you we're going to have some new ministry opportunities that are coming up this year. And this is why it's so important for you to get this stuff down now because one of the things that we are going to do this year is, is, is now, this is going to take some time. We're, we haven't even started things yet, but we are going to formally um, start a sports ministry. Right, we did the pickleball courts. We're going to do some things with pickleball. We're going to do some things with three-on-three, with disc golf, with regular golf, with maybe volleyball. Who knows how that all is going to play out? But but Brenton Bonanno is going to lead a sports ministry, and so he's going to be working on that. So we're going to need laborers, and it's going to do great things. It's going to be an evangelistic outreach. We're going to target you know young adults, and so the well, you guys need to be involved with this. We're going to target families and, and bringing people in through, a, through you know, sports activities, maybe even reaching out into the schools. Who knows how far God will do it. But, but we'll, need, we'll need help. We'll need laborers. We'll train leaders in that process. Another thing we're going to be doing is formalizing. We always do counseling, but we're going to be formalizing a counseling ministry led by Todd Goff. We're just getting more and more requests for counseling. And so now that's not for everybody. You you have to be spiritually mature. You have to have taken our LFBI counseling class, those sorts of things. That's a we'll call you, don't call us um, type, 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 of, type of ministry um, for, for those that are counselors. Um, but, but we're going to be formalizing some things, and we're going to need people that are ready to meet the challenge. Because the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. So pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you just for what you do in our hearts uh, through the preaching of your word. And so I pray that you've done just that, that you've spoke clearly to um, just to, to us individually. I know what you did to me throughout the preparation of this sermon. And so, Lord, I just pray that, that you again will, will bring forth the laborers that we need uh, just, just to do the work that you've called us to do. And um, we can only do what, what people are willing to do. And, and so, Lord, you've put a vision in front of us. And, and so, Lord, I pray that you provide those laborers uh, that are needed and you'll send people into, that, uh, into, the, into the world, into the harvest, whether that's here in New Philadelphia or that's across the world. Lord, that you'll call up that next, that next group. And so, Lord, we're so thankful to be a part of what you're doing. Um, and just privileged to be able to, to do it with you. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.